I've been very blessed so far. The service, the opening meditation, and the hymns that we sang. And my prayer is that the next part here is a blessing to you all as well. So I want to continue our study in the book of Daniel. If you want to turn to chapter 2 in Daniel, ready for the second second part here in, in our study. The book of Daniel is a very fitting topic for the end times. It is a book that gives us some direction. Not only does it give us understanding in things pertaining to the end, but it also sets an example and gives us hope and courage. In Hebrews, where it has that uh, list of the faithful and is even referred to in the opening there in chapter 11 of Hebrews. It says that these people of faith, they stop the mouths of lions, they quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword. And those uh, come right out of the book of Daniel. And our lesson today uh, would apply or would indicate in the last one about escape the edge of the sword. That's uh, what these men did. They escaped the edge of the sword. Now, one of the important things we want to draw from our study of the book of Daniel is a faith in God. If I would pick one uh, statement out of the book of Daniel, it's found in chapter 11 where he tells us that those that know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. And we find that throughout the book. By the example that these men of faith left us, they, did, they were strong, and they did exploits. And you may think, well, but that's not me. You know, because I'm just, uh, I'm just nobody. I mean, you know, Daniel was important. Well, the reason these things were written were for our example and for us to take admonition. And when it comes to faith, uh, God is no respecter of persons. He wants all of us to have faith. One thing that will be clear as we go through the book of Daniel is that in the various accounts, there were numerous times when these men faced death. And they would have been quite fearful times. If uh, you consider what Daniel would have gone through probably in his early life, being taken away from his family and taken captive to Babylon, 
a strange uh, land where he had to learn another language and it would not be an easy time in life. And further, they were among a people that were very godless and they worshipped other gods and they believed in other gods and had no fear or reverence for the God in heaven. And in our chapter today, Daniel made a statement. He said, there is a God in heaven. And we just ponder on that simple statement. There is a God in heaven. And the same is true today. It's the same God. He's still in heaven. And we are on the earth. And God is just as much in control today as he was back in Daniel's day. And that we can rest our hope and assurance on. There is a God in heaven. And even though we may be entering into fearful times, there's, it's no question that as you look in ahead, it seems like things are going to get worse and, and there's a lot of fear. Their men's hearts are failing them for fear. But if we think about the fact that there is a God in heaven, then what do we have to fear? Uh, we could ask ourselves the question, did any of us choose, search through time and decide that this is the time I want to live in? Well, no. The answer is obvious. We, none of us did. But another question, since then it was God's choice, and we know that the call is to every man to have faith, to have faith in God then it's a simple conclusion that God expects us to look to him in faith today, in the day that we've been called to serve him. He's chosen for us to live at this point in time, and we choose to believe in him. So let's read Daniel chapter 2. It is rather lengthy, but I'd like to read the whole chapter here. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep brake from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, that we may show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream, with the interpretation thereof ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if ye show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, 
and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know of certainty that ye would gain the time, because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you, for ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me, till the time be changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asketh such things at, his, at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time, and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went into his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth that in he knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said unto Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven 
that revealeth secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. But for their sakes it shall make known the interpretation to the king that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. This is the dream and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and hast made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces, and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, forasmuch as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Forasmuch as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. 
Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. That's an amazing story. And out of this uh, account, <clears throat> we have two things, two prominent things. The first is simply the example that Daniel gave of how he uh, responded to this situation. And then secondly, we have this prophetic passage that was given to Nebuchadnezzar to understand the things that were to come. And in fact, it covers all of history down to the end of time, which means that some of this is not yet fulfilled. And we see that by the fact that it says that there was this stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, which is a reference to Christ and his coming in power where he will take over the kingdoms of the world, as he says there, that in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Now that... A basic uh, outline is repeated a handful of times in the book of Daniel where the kingdoms of this world, while they seem to be full of power and might, God sets them up and puts them down as he will, but in the end of time, all of these kingdoms are going to pass away and Christ will come in power and glory and set up an everlasting kingdom. Now in this chapter, there was the vision of this image. In later chapters, Daniel is given some direct visions, and, and in these visions, there are various, uh, various visions. One of them, he had a vision of four beasts. And of, of different sorts, and then, uh, then some of the interpretation of it was given to him. And he also had the vision of the beast with seven heads and ten horns, and there was in some interpretation for that. Now some of these dreams and their interpretation have been 
of course, much discussed and much disputed by scholars, and, and some of them have a great deal of agreement and understanding. And in particular, this one, we find that in the early parts of it, for example, at the beginning of the uh, vision here on this, in this um, picture of the image with a head of gold, the interpretation made it clear that Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom was represented by this head of gold. So it, it clearly outlines kingdoms and succession of kingdoms. That's what this dream represented. So I'd like to go through that a bit and talk about this dream and its interpretation. And then we'll come back a bit to Daniel's example and, his, uh, and how he handled this whole matter. As Daniel sought the Lord and got this wisdom, we know that it came directly from God. And it's amazing that God was giving this heathen king information as to what was to come, uh, even far beyond his own lifetime and his own kingdom. And these things are written for our instruction and our understanding. And as we go through this, we want to recognize that God does set kingdoms up and puts down kingdoms. And he says very clearly that God is able to see, even in the dark, the things that are in the dark, he knows there is nothing hid from the face of God. And he is the supreme God in heaven who controls all these things. So here we have this image, as Daniel was able to tell to the king, that was um, an image made totally of metals, starting with the head of gold, seeming to be the most precious metals, uh, and then subsequently lesser metals as it went down through. So it had uh, four main components, or actually the fifth then was a combination of the fourth and, and then the final one. And then we have the picture of this stone that came and crushed this whole image and all of it was broken up and destroyed. And then the everlasting kingdom was set up. So what are these kingdoms? Well, the first one was given to us, as Daniel said there in, in verse 37. He says, Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom. That's interesting. He emphasizes that God gave him this kingdom. 
And maybe I should just interject here on this concept of God giving kingdoms. Uh, we think of men such as Nebuchadnezzar who didn't have a fear of God and, and other godless men down through history. How did, they, how did they get into positions of power? And why does God allow evil men to rule over others? Uh, and, you know, is God really in control? Well, we know and we look at the, the, the totality of Scripture how that this world is fallen under the grip of Satan. And he is the prince of the power of the air. And, and during this era, ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, men have lived wickedly. And God judged the earth with the flood. And then down through history there has been much wickedness. And not until Christ returns and sets up his everlasting kingdom will righteousness reign throughout the earth. But during this time, God is still the one who ultimately controls what is allowed and what isn't. Now Satan does inspire the evil. Satan even um, takes possession of people and Satan uh, inspires all the wars and hatred and all of those things. They are the result of Satan's war against God. But behind it all, it can still be said that God sets up and puts down. In other words, God has the final say in how it goes. And he doesn't just let it all up to Satan to decide how this thing is going to go. So there is a bit of a, um, let me say, a paradox in that, yes, Satan does inspire people to do things and, and he inspires the evil and hatred and so on. But yet it is true, as we clearly see here in the book of Daniel, that God in heaven makes the ultimate decisions on who is set up and who is put down. So, he says that this uh, thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all, thou art this head of gold. So he sets or establishes the precedent here that this entire image is, is representative of kingdoms, kings and kingdoms. And so it starts with this Babylon uh, empire represented by the head of gold. Then he says, after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee and another third kingdom of brass which shall bear rule over all the earth. So the next kingdom that was represented was the Medo-Persian Empire which was represented by the chest and arms of silver. That is what followed the Babylonian Empire. The third one was the belly and thighs of brass 
which was the Greek Empire, which started under Alexander the Great. And he sought to take over the world, and he did have an extensive kingdom that encompassed all of the Babylonian Empire and pretty much, I believe, all of the Medo-Persian Empire. And it was the third in sequence. Now, we have, so far, Babylonian Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, and the Greek Empire. We find those later in the book of Daniel and Daniel's vision of the beasts where these kingdoms are specifically named. So, as we follow here, even though they're not named in this passage, we know from other parts of Daniel that these are the ones that are referred to here as the, the successive empires that took over the former ones. The next one, represented by the legs of iron, that is the one that is not specifically named in Scripture, not, not in this passage and not later in the other, um, the other uh, visions that Daniel had. Now, oftentimes people have thought of this as the Roman Empire, but it would seem much more fitting if this was thought of as the Islamic Caliphate. And the reason for that in this image, we have here Nebuchadnezzar as king of Babylon, and we know the general region of Babylon. And if you know or study the history of the empires, you will discover that Rome never conquered uh, Babylon. There was a brief, very brief period of time, perhaps uh, about a year or less, that the Romans did push as far east as Babylon. But you could scarcely even call that complete control over Babylon since it was less than a year and then they... And for most of the hundreds of years uh, of the Roman Empire, they never did control any sizable portion of the Babylonian, the former Babylonian Empire. And so it seems that the Roman Empire is not even mentioned in this image. Now in some of the other ones, or particularly the one with the... Uh, beast with seven heads and ten horns, it does seem that the Roman Empire was included in that one. And there's reasons why it's included there but not here. And the reason I believe it's not included here is that this was revealed to Nebuchadnezzar who ruled over Babylon and it was specifically given to show him what would come in his kingdom and in the territories that he controlled. Now historically, if you think of that framework as the Babylonian Empire being succeeded by these following empires, you will find that 
the Roman Empire was predominantly far to the west and around the Mediterranean, but in this region, it was not until the Islamic Caliphate that the former empires were completely overtaken and encompassed. And if you think of the Islamic Caliphate, and I'll just explain the term Caliphate, would be equal to a king. Um, or the Caliphate would refer to his reign or his dominion, and the Caliph is equivalent to a king, a supreme ruler. And so we have in the region known as Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire overtook it, followed by the Greek Empire, but the Romans never did conquer that region of the world, and not until the Islamic Caliphate was that totally and very clearly the Islamic Caliphate encompassed all of the former empires. And it says here in verse 40, the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all things shall it break in pieces and bruise. Now in subsequent visions of the beasts and so on, it also talks about this terrible kingdom that breaks and subdues all kingdoms. And historically it would be true that the Islamic Empire did that to a far greater extent than Rome ever did. Rome seemed a rather benevolent kingdom by comparison because they often included the cultures and the uh, beliefs of, this, of their former empires or the ones they conquered and it would have been in that sense, a much more benevolent. But the Islamic Caliphate, when they came in, they conquered lands, they changed times and laws, they, they crushed and subdued cultures and established their own culture upon all these others. And then you have after this legs of iron, you have the feet or the toes. It says in, the, in verse 42, well, in verse 41, whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron. Now this mixture where iron and clay don't really mix with each other, but there it was in this image, partly of iron and part of clay. And that seems to represent then a restored Islamic caliphate that would exist at the end of time. Now many who have thought that Rome is represented by the iron have looked for a revived Roman Empire at the end of time but it seems much more fitting to consider the Islamic Caliphate that ruled for hundreds of years in this region, encompassing all of, this, of these former kingdoms, and was put out of power 
1924, the caliph was displaced and his kingdom was broken up into many parts and pieces. Many of the nation groups that we see today in the Middle East there, Syria, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, um, Iraq, Iran, and all of those countries used to be under one supreme ruler, including Turkey and, and regions round about there. So we can expect that in the end time there will be a revived Islamic caliphate that will rule over the Middle East. Now, this would parallel many other passages concerning the rise of the Antichrist and his ethnic background and so on. <clears throat> and it's, uh, it's very clear if you can see the maps. I, I wish I could show it to you, but the regions that, is, that are conquered here, that were conquered by the Islamic Empire and perhaps a revived empire, it's interesting that the ancient Babylonian Empire would be represented by Iraq today. The Medo-Persian Empire would be represented by Iran because they were for millenniums known as the Persians in the Persian Empire. And it's only in the 1900s that it was renamed as Iran. And for millennia before that it was known as the Persian Empire. And then the Greek Empire, we think of the modern day or country of Greece, but in reality what is referred to in scripture here as the Greek and the Greek Empire encompassed much of what would be modern day Turkey and yes parts of at least modern day Greece, but it was much more than the country we think of as Greece today. It also included much of modern-day Turkey. The Islamic Caliphate ruled over all of that region. And in the picture here that in the end of times, and it says specifically that this was a vision that showed him in the end of days, or in the latter days, uses the term to make known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. And the picture here is that at the very end of time, when Christ comes to set up his kingdom, notice what it says. In verse 35, Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So all of these kingdoms came to an end at the same time. Now, if you picture that these ancient kingdoms are still represented among the nations today and in those regions 
then it makes perfect sense that all of that is swept away when Christ comes in power. Now there's another interesting thing here that I'd like to note here. In verse 41, where it talks about the feet of clay and of iron, it says, The kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and there you have that word mixed. It was somehow blended together, but it didn't really... It was not cohesive, but it was mixed. And then it says in verse 43, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, that they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And that word mixed is actually the word Arab. That's rather interesting. But the Arab people, which we know of as today as the Arab people, that name goes way back, way, way back in history. And the use of the word here in this context seems very specific in that he uses the word mixed, and that word mixed in verse 41 is the same word that is translated shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. And what does the what is the uh, entomology of the word Arab? It simply means mixed. And it was applied to the mixed races of the Middle East. And you can find that in scripture very clearly that the people groups throughout the Arabian Peninsula and in the regions that are today known as Jordan and Iraq and so on, they were of mixed races. You have the Ishmaelites and you have the Egyptians and they became known as the mixed races and so they were called Arab because they were of mixed lineage and descent. Now that's not to, to speak disparagingly of them uh, in any way. It was just simply the term that was applied to that to the people groups in there because they were known to be of mixed races. That's what the word Arab, um, that's the entomology of the word Arab. And it's used here in this context, it says, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. And so if we were to simplify what it seems to be saying here is to simply say that whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall be Arab. They shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Now, that's just a brief overview. And I wasn't able to bring in many of the other parallel passages that would support some of these thoughts. And 
will be repeated perhaps in later chapters. But I'd like to move a bit to the example that Daniel left for us here as he considered this uh, situation. So, if you think of Daniel, he was a man of faith. He had gone through some testing prior. We saw that in the first chapter. But he's just simply going along in faith. We believe he was praying three times a day, as we find in a later chapter. That seemed to be his known habit. And suddenly there's a knock on his door, and here is the man responsible to put them to death and tells them that um, you're, you're going to be put to death along with the other wise men. So suddenly he's, he's faced with imminent death and it's like a stroke out of the blue. He didn't know anything about this and suddenly it's just right, right in front of him. I hope we're not necessarily faced with that like situation, but what was his first response? Was not one of fear. Oh, well, let's run. You know, let's hide. No. He just said, oh, there is a God in heaven. Let, let, this thing is hasty. Let's give us some time because we believe in a God that is able to show the king these things. So Daniel was a man of faith who in a moment of sudden, extreme, life-threatening situation, he looked to God for an answer. Now, you know very well that down through history, Believers, Christians have faced extreme tests and even to death. Many were put to death. And you will say, well, so, yeah, okay, Daniel was this exception, but think of all the hundreds and thousands that, were, that actually died. You know, they didn't, they didn't escape. Well, I know that is the impression we can get as we read through Daniel and say, oh, well, these were exceptional people. These were, you know, exceptional circumstances. But the reality is that all of us need to walk in that kind of faith where we don't look in fear of what is to come. We can accept that there are going to be difficult times and there are maybe even things that would naturally make us fearful. But when we are put to the test, the question is simply, are we going to respond in faith? And do we know our God? Because they that know their God shall be strong and shall do exploits. And if you note there, he says, shall be strong and do exploits. And you notice... And I'm getting ahead of it here, but uh, the next chapter is about the fiery furnace. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when they were put to the test and given an opportunity to either worship the true God or to bow as they were commanded, they didn't bow, but they chose to worship and honor the God of heaven. And they didn't know whether they would be delivered. That was very clear in their statement, but they were strong. They were strong. And then they also did exploits. But first, they were strong because they knew their God. And that should be our purpose in our heart, first of all, to be strong because we know God. And you don't wait to know God until you're faced with that extreme thing. You seek to know God today. To walk with God in faith. And so when Daniel was faced with this, that knock on his door, um, Verse 13, it doesn't literally say a knock on the door, but it was said they came to search him out and told him what was, what was at hand. And, and um, so he appealed for some time, and they gave him some time. And so it says that Daniel went to his house, and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now think for a minute the position that Shadrach or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were in. So they're companions with Daniel. They face the same death threat. And they join with Daniel in prayer. But it's Daniel that gets the vision and the answer. By the providence of God, God gave the vision and the answer to Daniel. But these other three were companions with him. They sought God in prayer. Uh, perhaps on Daniel's behalf, maybe they were just all praying that Daniel get the vision. But what I want to emphasize for us, an example we can take, is that no matter what our responsibility or position, we can identify with the work of God in spirit, in prayer, in earnestness before God because we're part of the same body. We have the same needs. If, if we don't get help from God, we will all perish. That was how they entered into prayer and supplication before God. Can that apply to us today? It surely can. We need to get of the same mind and the same spirit because we will perish if we don't know God and find help from God. 
So Daniel goes in. They have their prayer. It says, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. And after it was revealed, Daniel, first of all, gave thanks to God and gives here words of praise. It says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. Yes, he knows what's in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. Now, kingdoms, as it says here, he changeth times and seasons, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. Does God do that today? Well, that's a bit of a rhetorical question, as I've said before. Yes, God does those things today. God enabled America to be a world superpower. Why? I, I don't know all the whys. Why did he let Rome be a major world power back in the day? What if God decides to let the Chinese become the dominant kingdom in the present age? Are we going to, what are we going to do? I mean, those kind of things are talked about. You know, there's, there's contests and conflicts between kingdoms. And, and supposedly, we're, the American people, we're supposed to be afraid of the Russians. And we're supposed to be afraid of the Chinese. And, you know, afraid of this or that. And, and men put their confidence in military might and strength and... and gaining the supremacy, economic supremacy over the other nation. and All of those things, the peoples of this world are troubled, troubled by these things. And we just need to remember that there is a God in heaven. And he sets up kingdoms, he puts kings in place, and he puts them down. He lifts up others, and it's not something that needs to become a terribly troubling thing to us. It's simply we need to be people of God who purpose that we will know God and we will serve God in faith in our age and in our time. That's, We're not called to solve who's supposed to be in charge and which kingdom should have the supremacy. It's not what we're here for. We're here to remember that we are representatives of God's kingdom here and now. And just like Daniel and his, his companions, they showed themselves faithful as servants of God where they were.
Can we do likewise? Can we take example and say, yes, Lord, help me to be faithful to serve you in this age, in this time. May God bless you with that.